<laughs> um, yeah, see, it's happened to Daniel. Great. So, um, yes, we'll just let those go out. So, yeah, as Tim says, we're carrying on a series on um, heroes of the faith. So um, you may or may not have heard some of the other installments, depending on how um, readily you've made yourself available for church over August. Um, but the good thing is that it's um, each one's a one-off. So in a, in a sense, you've not missed anything. Um, we're all starting from the same place here. Uh, and we're going to speak about Daniel today. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm going to give a bit of an overview of that. But really, the the main message just to take away today, just um, so you're in no doubt, is that Jesus is calling every single one of us to know exactly who we are in him um, and for that to change the way that we live our lives and for us to end up with eyes that are firmly fixed on his kingdom and how it's coming. Um, that's where we're going. But vibe Daniel, he was around before Jesus, but it will all make sense. Um, yeah, let, let's just quickly pray. Yeah, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to understand your word. So would you send it right now in great power? Um, would you equip us, excite us? And Father, open our hearts to genuinely believe that you can speak fresh light. And Lord, there's, you know, you only had 12 disciples and they changed the world. There's maybe 20 of us here. So Lord, we ask that you'd send your fire um, and that my words would just be a lot better than they would be otherwise because of your glory. Amen. So, um, so yeah, we're going to be in Daniel. And uh, before we sort of go into it properly, I'm going to just give a bit of a potted run through. I, I'm going to do it slightly slower than I did this morning because it was like I saw a couple of people nearly sort of fall off their chairs um, with bewilderment. So I've got, got a couple of slides. So Daniel basically is split into two sections. Um, the first six chapters cover his life um, working in the Babylonian courts under a couple of kings. Um, and the last six chapters are his prophetic visions um, about the rise and fall of um, of empires essentially and the coming kingdom and uh, so so really what we see is in sort of I'm just going to run through this and don't be scared but uh, so at the start of chapter one what happens is b the Babylonians besiege Jerusalem and King Nebuchadnezzar takes the the best and the brightest um, from that into his kingdom to serve him and so Daniel along with three others um, who, who we'll get to know briefly um, are essentially there to train for three years and to learn Babylonian culture, uh, literature, wisdom, philosophy, and to then be able to serve the king. And uh, so they're brought in. And what we see quite early on is that Daniel is incredible and goes straight to the top of the class without really compromising on any of his values. And we then get through to chapter two, where we see that Daniel is able to interpret dreams in a way that no one else is able to and the sort of pagans around him are stumbling around for answers and they're failing. And Daniel succeeds, but he continues to give glory to God uh, rather than seeking his own glory. And then in chapter three, we get to sort of Veggie Tales. Maybe you watched Veggie Tales when you were younger, um, with Rackshack and Benny, um, uh, where there's a, a golden statue uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar insists that everyone bows down and worships. And uh, these legends say, no, we'll not do that. Uh, and so as a punishment, they're cast into a, a furnace. Um, and so you probably know that story. The idea really is to sort of weave together some of the things you'll have heard from Daniel before. And they survive the furnace. And in that furnace, uh, there's a fourth individual. And then we come to chapter four. And what happens there is Daniel prophesies how Nebuchadnezzar is going to become incredibly proud, fall, and then repent. And that's exactly what happens. And then in chapter five, the same happens for Nebuchadnezzar's son, who is now king, except he doesn't repent. And we see the writing on the wall, which you may have heard of 
in the past, uh, and therefore he completely falls away, and Darius then becomes king. And then lastly in chapter 6, um, we get the classic story where Daniel gets sent to the lion's den for being such an upstanding character that those around him uh, are jealous and seek to undermine him. And so he is cast to the lion's den under false pretenses, um, but as we know, he survives. And I won't go into too much detail of what happens through 7 and 12, but essentially um, it's a series of visions, um, apocalyptic visions, um, that portray the rise and fall of empires, human empires, before pointing um, to the eternal rule of the kingdom of God. Um, and so we will sort of get there at the end. But today there's sort of three points I really want us to go through. Um, and those are identity, integrity, and vision. So three things that I really get from the person of Daniel, and I hope you can today. And so the first, identity, that God alone is our judge. And when that is our uh, anchor, uh, nothing else matters. Secondly, that that ends up defining our values, that when we know who we are in Jesus, uh, that that changes the way we live. And if it doesn't change the way we live, then we need to assess whether or not we've truly grasped what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that thirdly, uh, when we see all of this in context, we're given a greater vision, both of how we see the world today and also a vision of what's going to happen um, in the final days when Jesus returns. So firstly, um, identity. I think identity for me is really tied to the idea of judgment um, because I think that the identity that we place upon other people is largely based upon the judgments we reach about them. And the same is true for ourselves. And so just as a sort of fairly facile demonstration of this, um, I am most judgmental when I'm in airports. And um, something that recently Rachel and I were to Rome the other day, and um, something that just continues to antagonize me is uh, when I'm in the sort of the terminal, I'm going towards the gate, and you know, there's the travelator there, and it's all zooming along. And there are people who, who don't use it. And I, I, I cannot grasp why in any circumstance you wouldn't choose to be going sort of two or three miles an hour faster. And so you sort of see people plodding along quite proudly and normally walking quite briskly because they don't want to be overtaken by the sort of cruisers on the travelator. And that's something that's really upset me for many years now um, and continues to. And so that's just a small example of how I'm inherently quite judgmental. And never mind when we then get to the, to the gate and then people are just queuing up and it's like the plane's not going like, to take off until we're all on there. And you're sort of standing up and I'm just going to stay comfortable in my seat. Thank you very much. Don't know why you're queuing because it's all about lowest common denomination in this situation, I'm afraid. So I am a judgmental person and I'm sure that all of us are. But the silly thing about that is actually when we have those sort of interactions or the person who doesn't say thank you when we hold open the door, actually what happens is we do reach value judgments about people based on incredibly small pieces of information that probably are not even slightly representative of who they are as an individual and that's totally different from the way that Jesus approaches us and it's also totally different to the way that Daniel approached who he was and so I'd like to just start us off um, if we go to, uh, to Daniel 1 we just hear that uh, after the introduction which, which takes us through how Daniel's brought into Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom um, and we hear that they are young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. They sound, they sound great. So we get to verse 6, and it says this. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. 
So the reason this is really interesting is because of what those names mean. So the name Daniel means God is my judge. And he's given the name Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect his life. Bel being a, a Babylonian god rather than someone you ring. Shadrach is the new name for Hananiah. So his name goes from meaning the Lord shows grace to meaning under the command of Aku, the moon god. Mishael becomes Meshach. His name, having meant who is like God, now means who is like Aku. Fourthly, Azariah becomes Abednego, and his name goes from meaning the Lord helps to meaning servant of Nebo, the god of learning. So what we can see really early on here is uh, these four individuals, and, and presumably several others as well, have been brought into Nebuchadnezzar's um, kingdom to serve him, um, and they are Jews. And yet... They have their identity stripped or an attempt to strip their identity from them in the first instance that they're in the court, despite being um, highly intelligent, capable people who presumably have a lot going for them. Uh, the chief official has no qualms whatsoever with saying, you guys need new names if you're going to fit in here. And so that's exactly what happens. Now, the reality is that Daniel is still only judged by God and that Shadrach is shown grace by the Lord and is not under the command of Aku, the moon god. And that Mishael is still going to be proclaiming who is like God, not who is like Aku. And Azariah is still going to be saying that the Lord helps me rather than saying that he's a servant of Nebo. But I think that this is a really small example of actually what happens in our lives to a certain extent. Um, even as Tim introduces me, I am indeed the popcorn man. Um, I work for Propercorn. And... Um, and quite often, uh, I can go through my day and realise that if I do it really, really well, the most likely outcome is that there'll be slightly more popcorn successfully delivered through the supply chain. And if I do it really, really badly, um, there'll be slightly less. So that is the sort of range within which things can truly be achieved um, in what I do day to day. But it's very easy for me to lose sight of why I'm really there and how God's teaching me things and how there are relationships to build with people and to think, no, I'm Matthew, I'm the head of operations at Propercorn. And that that is where my identity starts to be hinged. And you might find this as well because uh, it might be the types of holidays you go on, it might be the sort of circles you move in, uh, it might be what degree you've got, it might be what your family are like, um, it might be the depth of friendship you've got with other people, some of which are good things. But all too easily, we can hang our identity on things that are not Jesus. So my challenge to us is to remember that God is our judge. And so as a result of that, we shouldn't fear the judgment of those around us, but instead we should recognize that the judgment we should be concerned with is, is the Lord's. And we should also know um, that we're already going to be spared being found guilty upon that judgment if we're relying on Jesus. And so I take us to John 1.12, which says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, in the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. That is who we are. So on that note, if I take us through to chapter 3, the furnace that we briefly discussed earlier, and verse 25 on page 841. We know that Daniel has been found... Uh, to have no blemish on which the officials and the, the satraps, um, as they're called, can, can catch him out on. Um, but instead they, uh, sorry, I'm saying completely the wrong thing here. It's not about Daniel. We'll get there. This is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what we see is that in verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. 
and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. And, and it's reasonable, I think, to assume that son of the gods means actually to us the son of God. Um, if, you, if you look back at those names we had at the beginning and how they're all given different gods' names, it's a really polytheistic way of framing what's actually going on. What's going on here is there's one God. It's the son of the God. Uh, it's Jesus. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, yeah, he's not striking me down. Um, so that's what's going on here. And so what we see is that actually in the furnace, um, God is present. And I think that the encouragement here is that Nebuchadnezzar has put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace because they refuse to worship another god. And the reason they refuse to do that is because their identity is in Yahweh, is in the Lord. And so I suppose the reality is that we are, we are similar. We will find ourselves uh, in, in the furnace. The Bible doesn't say to us um, that that won't happen. In fact, quite the opposite, John 16, 33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so the challenge as we build our identity is not to think, how can I build my identity in a way that will stop me from ever getting hurt? And what that tends to mean if we take that approach is that we end up becoming very fickle, changeable individuals, moving with the prevailing wind of the time. And, I, and, and to be honest, I think that's why we're in an age of um, identity politics and self-identification, because we're in an age where we need to constantly shift who we are to suit exactly the sort of culture that is over and above us. Whereas actually the message of the Bible is your identity is in who you are made in the image of God. And that is completely unchanging. So in this world you will have trouble because your identity will completely conflict the judgment and the identities that the world is trying to throw your way. But take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And so in the knowledge of that, we can move on to having integrity in how we live our lives. To have the confidence to live with integrity without fear. So point two is to have integrity, that God defines your values. So we see this in, in chapter one, where Daniel um, refuses to defile himself, in verse eight, with the royal food and wine. And he asks the chief official permission not to defile himself in this way. And if you read on what happens is Daniel says, look, I want to respect the sort of ritual purity laws that we have in, in Judaism, and therefore I will not drink um, food that is sacrificed to idols. And the officials say, well, you know, you're, you're going to go hungry. You're going to lose weight. And actually what happens is Daniel says, well, give us 10 days. And we get to verse 15. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now, now sometimes we will suffer for living with integrity. But there are also moments where we have the opportunity to be a real light. And if we believe that what we believe as Christians is true, in an absolute sense, that it is more true than anything the world can throw at us, then there will also be moments in this life where that shines through as just having greater purpose than anything that's around it. So let's not resign ourselves to the idea that everything we believe is abstract and strange and reliant on you know, stuff going on in the sky. Like The gospel is something for our lives right now. Our identity in God changes who we are right now in a way that can bring light, salt and light, into the world. And so to continue that, I take you through to chapter 6. And this is the point I, I nearly made prematurely. So it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. 
At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now, wh when I was sort of praying this, I was stunned by the parallels between this and uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus, before the, uh, the Jewish authorities, notice it says, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Uh, Jesus also was accused of blasphemy. And, and Jesus also was completely above reproach, without blame. The difference is what happens. So Daniel is thrown to the lions then, as we know. And what happens is in his prayers, uh, the Lord answers them and the lions do not open their mouths. What happens with Jesus as an expiation of our sins is that uh, the lions effectively do open their mouth and Jesus dies on the cross for us. But we live in the light of the fact that he didn't stay on the cross, that he didn't stay in the tomb. That he didn't just rise from the tomb, but he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so the truth that we need to grasp here is that we can live gloriously new lives because Jesus has already done it. And he's had a far greater punishment than likely any of us will ever have for living a perfect life. So in our imperfect lives, Let's strive, not because it's the thing that's going to save us, but because we've been given that example before us, because we know who we are in Jesus. Pilate could find no fault with Jesus. These guys could find no fault with Daniel. The reality is that we will be attacked in this life, as I say. Um, but let's, let's really hold on to that truth that, that Jesus has won this already. And so thirdly, I'd take us to the idea of vision. Jesus defines our outlook and our outcome. The climax of the, of the book of Daniel really is totally outward looking. So as I said, the second half of it is all about uh, vision, apocalyptic visions. And so if I take you to chapter 7, it says this, verse 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Turn now to Mark 14. Verse 62, it's page 964. I am, said Jesus, the Messiah, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. If I can just keep taking you through, if you move to Revelation 1, that's okay. Apologies for the hopscotch. Revelation 1 verse 7 says this, page 1166. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. 
The son of man that Daniel talks about in chapter 7 is the son of man who Jesus identifies himself as in the Gospels. He deliberately calls out Daniel 7 in the Gospel of Mark. And if you look at, you can look at Matthew 24, 15, it has the same thing where Jesus specifically associates himself with the prophetic figure spoken about in Daniel. So we have Daniel over here in the past, before, before the age of Jesus, showing what it means to live with identity, integrity and vision. We then have the person of Jesus himself showing how the vision that Daniel is giving us is pointing to him. And we then have revelation after this, both pointing back and pointing forwards to say, Jesus is the vision. Jesus is the son of man. So Jesus is, is, is just calling us to recognize that he is over the entire canon of scripture. And I, I think part of this is, I, I feel maybe like the Holy Spirit is just sort of leading me to say that, you know, the Bible is not uh, in of itself. Um, something that saves us, but the scripture that's within it and the Holy Spirit that speaks to us through it is incredibly important for us to understand the good news that we've been given. And we, we cannot hold it dearly enough. And so actually, I want us to recognize that when we look at that picture of the Son of Man, this person that Daniel speaks about, this person that Jesus identifies with in Mark and then spoken about again in Revelation, we should recognize that God is totally sovereign over this book. I mean, the prophetic tradition that has come out of this is so coherent and so powerful and so beautifully bound together. And it's all calling on the glory, the glory of Jesus. So let, let's, let's take it seriously that God is totally sovereign over the Bible. And therefore, for him to be sovereign over our lives is, is, is an easy task for him. So lastly, if we can just go to, uh, back to Daniel um, and go to Daniel 12, which is page 853. Daniel 12, verse 13. Daniel is told, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So this is what Daniel's told by the Archangel Gabriel. I'll read that again. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. This is a lot like the parable of the talents. Um, because... It, what happens in the parab parable of the talents is uh, the master sort of sends out three of his servants to sort of uh, invest. And two of them come back and have invested it and yielded a return. And to them, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's no coincidence, that's Matthew 25. And Matthew 24, you'll see Jesus calling out uh, his identification with the person of Daniel. I think what's really true here is that just as Daniel is told, Go your way, uh, and at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Jesus then says that again, that we, if we invest, if we invest our talents in his kingdom, if we have that vision and aspiration that there's, there's the kingdom of God is available to us, and we can draw it down into our lives, then, then there is something truly, truly special that's available to us. And so, so that's really where I want to land, is to say... Um, what, what Daniel teaches me, and I hope um, you, you get a glimpse of from what I've shared tonight, is that um, our identity needs to be totally founded upon God as our judge. The world is not our judge. But secondly, that empowers us to live with true integrity, 
that our values can be defined by that, that we can live with the distinctiveness that Daniel does. And that thirdly, let's not lose sight of the, the real vision here, which is that Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead. And that we know we're on the winning side. We know we're on the winning side. And so let's fight, fight for everyone we know who, who right now isn't, because it really, really matters. That Jesus is calling us, he's calling us to know who we are in him, to live in the light of that and to fix our eyes on his coming kingdom. So can we just close our eyes? I think it'd be good just to spend some time just waiting on the Holy Spirit and 